Hey everyone, welcome to the Southside Church Podcast from Chilliwack, British Columbia, Canada. We're praying that hope would rise in your life as you listen to this message today. So a few months ago, I decided to read through Psalm 24 early one morning. But I actually only got through the first two verses. And whether you are watching online today or in person, it's the same two verses that I want to submit to you as we begin this morning. Psalm 24, verses 1 and 2 says this. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Now the reason that I stopped after only two verses is because I began to think, who wrote this? Who wrote Psalm 24? It came to me, Psalm 24 was written by this guy named David. But for our purposes today, it might be better for me to mention that it was King David. King David wrote, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. 3,000 years ago when David was king of Israel, it would have been very easy for a king to say something like this. The earth is mine and everything in it, The world and all who live in it belong to me. Most certainly a king 3,000 years ago could have said this, this nation is mine and everyone who live in it. All the resources belong to me. All the grain, all the livestock, all the lakes, all the rivers, even all the people belong to me. And yet you see here in Psalm 24, David establishes an order for his life. He says this, I'm the king of this country, but there is actually a king above all kings. And I'm the lord of this land, but there's actually a lord above all lords, and I submit my life to him. And to be honest with you, I found it really inspiring. And it got me thinking. And I wonder if I live that open-handed life like David did. It all belongs to you, God, everything. Or if I was truthful, would I say that if I really, really took a hard look at my life, is there something inside of my life that I am holding on to for dear life? And and that's what I started asking myself. So I went over the usual suspects, you know? The ones that you think about first. Is it my bank account? Is it my money? You know, am I hanging on to my money where I say the earth is the Lord's with everything in it except for this? But I thought about it, I thought, no, I don't think it is my money. That well, is it my possessions? Like, am I really possessive of my possessions somehow that I'm clinging on to those? And I thought about it, and I thought, no, that's not it. And in that moment, while ruminating on the first two verses of Psalm 24, God brought a story to my mind. And before I tell you what the story was, I want to tell you the setting. See, early that morning, I had ridden my bike across the Vetter Bridge, and I was on the south side of the Vetter River, all by myself sitting on a bench. The only thing I could hear was the birds singing, the wind rustling in the trees, and and, and the flowing of the water. The sun was just beginning to rise, and so you could see it reflected on the river. Absolutely perfect. Think about it. The earth is the Lord's and everything. If there was ever a setting in which I could have been laser beam focused on those verses, it would have been that. And yet my mind started wandering. Can you relate a little bit, like when you really try to contemplate a verse or a chapter? When you really give time to God and say, God, I really want to look at what you want to say to me. Sometimes my mind begins to wander. 
But I want to suggest to you, don't beat yourself up. There's a chance that when your mind begins to wander, that it's the pizza you ate last night. That's true. But there's also a chance that you need to take a really good look at the story that comes into your mind. Because I want to repeat again to you, I'm sitting on a bench on the banks of the Vetter River, and I'm asking myself, God, is there one thing in my life that I'm holding on to way too tightly? Is there one thing in my life that I would say, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it except for this? And this story came to mind. All the way back to grade 11. Now, when I was in grade 11, growing up in Red Deer, Alberta, we had two McDonald's. I thought you might want to know that. We had two McDonald's, so Red Deer was kind of divided. Uh, be, the, the Red Deer River split Red Deer, and so there was like the North Hill of Red Deer and the South Hill of Red Deer. We had a McDonald's on the North Hill and a McDonald's on the South Hill, okay? So one afternoon after school, my mom, my little sister, and me stopped at North Hill McDonald's. My mom and my little sister went into McDonald's to grab us, I'm guessing, probably McChickens. That's probably a pretty safe bet at that time. My dad was traveling, so it was just going to be the three of us for dinner. I'm guessing we went home, ate McChickens, and watched the Oilers play. It's also a pretty safe bet. I waited out in the parking lot in the car. And while I was sitting there in the car, another car, pull car pulled into the parking lot and parked about three spots from our car. And I noticed as they pulled in that the guy in the passenger seat was a guy who I did not like. Like, I really didn't like this guy. Really, really didn't like him. And he really, really didn't like me. I just liked this guy so much that as he got out of his friend's car, as his door opened, my door reflexively opened. And I started walking. I'm beelining it. So he's on his way into the restaurant, and I'm beelining his path. And we're going to throw down in the North Hill Red Deer McDonald's parking lot. I'm on my way to beeline him, I'm, I'm, and then all of a sudden I stop and I think, okay, wait a minute, my mom and my little sister are about to walk out of the restaurant, and I'm throwing haymakers in the North Hill McDonald's Red Deer parking lot. That's kind of weird, right? So I stop, and both these guys smirk at me, and the smirk says, that's what I thought. Good call. And as the guy walks by me, he goes like this. I get, in the, I, I, I get back in the car, my mom and my little sister come back out with McChickens about a minute later, the end. That's the end of the story. But I should probably tell you this. That story comes back into my mind about four or five times a year. And every time it does, it makes me extremely angry. I want to go back in time to the parking lot. North Hill, Red Deer, McDonald's. And when he walks by me and does this, I want to clock him so hard. I want to beat him up quickly, then head back to the car. And when my mom and my little sister come back, say, what would you look at that poor fellow lying on the ground in the parking lot of North Hill McDonald's? Anyways, let's go cheer for the Oilers. Go team. Thank you so much. <laughs> Not, it's delightful. It's weird though, right? Grade 11. That's over seven years ago for me, okay? <laughs> Grade 11. Someone said, yeah, I love this group. <laughs> it's a funny story. And I know there's some of you that came to church today and, and you're saying, Mike, I finally figured out why you're a preacher. Because when I woke up this morning, I thought, I'm the most messed up person I know. But then I came to church and listened to Mike speak, and now I realize there's somebody more messed up in the world than I am. Thank you so much, Mike. 
You're so welcome. But if we could just take a little break in laughing at Mike's crazy grade 11 story of the Red Jeremy McDonald's North Hill parking lot, I just have one quick question for you. Do you have a pride problem? Because you understand that's what that whole story is about, right? It's all about pride. You understand that's why it bugs me four or five times a year, right? It's all about pride. Do you have a pride problem? You say, well, I'll tell you this, Mike. I don't ruminate over a story that happened when I was in grade 11 at the North Hill McDonald's Red Deer parking lot. Oh, that's good. That's awesome. But do you have a pride problem? How about this? In the last seven days, can you remember a time that you've been driving all alone or going for a walk or just sitting by yourself and you start to daydream about a conversation that you had earlier? And it's a conversation where somebody said something that you really didn't like. You know what I mean? They insulted you. And in your daydream, you have a comeback. Right? Not, not, you didn't in the moment, but now you do, and it's devastating, and it's witty, witty, and it's so funny. And it puts them in their place, and they don't even have a comeback. They just sit there in stunned silence. Have you done that? Because if you have, you have a pride problem. If you were completely honest, would you say this? you maybe spend a little bit too much time worrying about your appearance. That's kind of a funny one for me because I sort of have the opposite problem. If it was up to me, every day of my life, I would wear the same thing. A baseball hat, a sleeveless t-shirt, and sweatpants. Now I do have a decent shoe game, and the reason why I have a decent shoe game is because after years and years of coaching basketball, I got a taste for Jordan shoes. But I am Dutch, so I always get them on sale, okay? <laughs> but it, it was up to me. I'd wear sweatpants, a sleeveless shirt, and, and a ball cap every day. You say, well, Mike, you're not wearing that right now. I know, because my wife tells me what to wear. That's why. <laughs> my wife and my kids. And, and there is someone on staff, actually, that, that tells me when you can't wear that, and that's Brianna Murphy. She's our Next Steps pastor. You might know her as someone who comes out here and just sings beautiful songs. So we have a bit of a deal. I help her with her singing. And she helps me with my clothes. So, when this place was being built, the staff wing was done, but the auditorium wasn't yet finished, okay? And so, one morning I come riding my bike. This is what you do when you ride your bike. Okay, so, um, so you know. Um, and I pull up to the, to the front doors, and remember the auditorium is still being built. And when the auditorium was being built, we had an incredible team of sound guys that was in here just building the sound system in here. But at that very moment, they were going some, through some tweaks and some adjustments. In fact, there was some worry that the way this place was constructed, it was going to be really, really difficult. Now, they got it all worked out, as you can tell. It sounds amazing in here. But one of the sound techs is a guy that actually became a pretty good friend of mine. And I pull up that morning, and he looks at me, and he says... <laughs> Why do you always dress like such a slob? <laughs> now, time out. Time out. That's actually a pretty good question. <laughs> because I was dressed like a slob. Yeah. Kind of comes natural to me. And he's a good guy. He was making conversation. And yet, you know what happened to me in that moment? In that moment, my pride got tweaked a little bit. And so what I said in the moment was, I don't know, I think I laughed and shrugged my shoulders and walked away, but this is what I thought of saying. 
Listen to this. This is what I actually thought of saying. I thought of saying this. Well, at least I don't look as bad as your system sounds. Nice. Really nice. You know what that is? That's called pride. So let me ask you a question. Do you daydream about devastating comebacks of conversations that have already happened? Do you think a little bit too much about how you look? Or how about this one? Are you competitive? And no, no what I mean is like, are you competitive to the degree that you can only really feel like you're winning in life if someone else is losing? Do you agonize over the impression that you make when you meet people? You go over and over and over and wonder if you just really came across looking the way that you wanted. Are you able to just meet people and just do the best you can and leave it? Or are you able to ask yourself, man, how are they feeling walking away from this conversation? One of my favorite stories is a story about the former Prime Minister of Israel. Her name is Golda Meir. I say that slowly because sometimes when I say it, people think I say gold in my ear. I'm not saying gold in my ear, I'm saying Golda Meir, Prime Minister of Israel in the early 1970s. Incredible. Like a diplomat, a politician, a deal maker, just amazing. And, and, and I read an article once trying to figure out what is it about her? What is her superpower that allows her to be so incredibly effective? And they talked to this guy and he said, I, I can't really define it for you. I'll just tell you this story. He said, I've met with a lot of world leaders. And almost invariably, when I walk out of a meeting with a world leader, I say to myself, man, that prime minister, that president, that king, that queen, man, oh man, they are so amazing, intelligent, and articulate. It's just incredible. He said, and yet when I walk out of a meeting with Prime Minister Golda Meir, I find myself thinking this. Prime Minister Meir thinks I'm amazing, articulate, and intelligent. And that might just be her super That's cool, right? Like, like, like imagine if I could go into conversations asking myself, not how I can be celebrated, but how, how I can celebrate someone else. Not how I can be noticed, but how I can notice someone else. Not how I can be known, but how I can know someone else. See, as I sat on the banks of the Vedder River that morning, asking myself, God, is there one thing that I'm holding on too tightly in my life? It came to me. It's my pride. It's my reputation. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it except, kind of, I kind of want to look after this thing, this pride thing, this reputation thing. And God said, got to let it go. Got to let it go. Like, first of all, chasing after your rep reputation is like herding chickens, right? It doesn't even work. But let's talk about pride for a second. Like, coming to this point in my life when I can say, God loves me. The God of the universe loves me. Not some past version of me before I messed up, and not some future version of me after I get my stuff together, but he loves me right here and right now. Like Leah talked about it earlier today. Out of Luke chapter 15, the story of the good shepherd, Jesus, who leaves the 99 and goes after the one. I'm the one. So are you. That's enough.
Like you are loved fully, completely, and totally. Not some past version of you, not some future version of you, but right here and right now, you are loved. And here's the thing. God doesn't really care if you have a devastating comeback to that insult. He doesn't really care if you look really good in those jeans, and he doesn't really care whether the people at your gym think you are cool. And the point is, neither should you. That's a tough one to let go of, though. Like, God, can I really, can, 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 can I really trust you with me? Like, my pride. And he brought another passage to my mind out of the book of Job. This is God questioning Job, but the way I heard it that morning was God questioning Mike. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it, or on what were its footings set, or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Who shut up the seas behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness, when I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place, when I said, this far you may come and no farther. Here is where your proud waves halt. Have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place? You get it? God said, Mike, you can trust me. With everything? Yeah. With everything. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, even me. Take it. Now, I bring that all up because I think we're in a situation right now that God is really going to call us to a place of humility. Humility. Collectively, whether you're watching online or whether you're here in person, I really believe that God is calling us to a place of humility. And I know there's a lot of different, di different definitions for humility. What do they say? Like, humility isn't thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. That's great. That's great. That's great. Here's the one that I want to use for our purposes, okay? Here it is. God loves me, and that's enough. It sounds really simple, but it's really profound. I'm the one. I'm the one he left the 99 for. Nothing has to be proven about me. Anything that needed to be proved about me has already been proved through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. My value is established. My worth is established. God loves me, and that's enough. That's humility. It's so important for a variety of reasons. The Bible says that God gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. I want grace. And the timing is perfect because we're entering into a, a study on the New Testament book of 1 Timothy. It's going to be incredible. And what you're going to see over and over and over again as we together go through the book of 1 Timothy is you're going to see that God wants to speak into your life. God wants to speak into your life. Isn't that a neat little catchphrase? God wants to speak into your life. Wow, that's so cool. I want God to speak into my life. Do you? Do you really? Because it's going to require a great degree of humility. I'll give you an example. Let's imagine next week I come up here and I'm going to preach a message out of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. 
So let's go. Be fit as a fiddle. Look after it. Let's make it happen. Your body is a temple. Be in shape. You know who loves that message? The fitness people. They're, amen, selah, huzzah, right? Let's go. I love that message. The fitness people, they haven't had a cookie since 1997, right? <laughs> they work out three times a day. Cardio in the morning, weights in the afternoon, active stretching at night. They count every macro. I have no idea what a macro is, but I know fitness people count them, okay? <laughs> their idea of splurging would be like a teaspoon of barbecue sauce on their boiled chicken breast, Okay, they love that. Your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit. Let's go, get yourself together. They love that message. You know who doesn't like that? The not fitness people. <laughs> the people who haven't eaten, eaten a vegetable since 1997, okay? <laughs> they, they do not exercise three times a day unless you count the fact that in between rounds of Call of Duty, they go and get themselves a snick snacky out of the kitchen, all right? They do not count their macros. Um, but they do eat according to four major food groups. Twizzlers, Reese's, Coca-Cola, and Doritos. Okay, so basically that. They don't like that message. It makes them kind of uncomfortable if God wants to speak into their life that way. Okay, okay. But let's imagine that the following week, I come up and I preach a message out of Galatians chapter one, verse 10, which says this. You can't live for the approval of people and the approval of God at the same time. In fact, if you live your life trying to please people, you will not even be able to serve God. You know who loves that message? The non-fitness people love that message. That's right. I've been wearing the same sweatpants and sleeveless t-shirt for the last seven weeks straight. I don't care what people think of me. I'm not worried about it. Amen. Selah. You know who doesn't like that message quite as much? The fitness people. Because now the fitness people have to ask themselves, why am I working out three times a day? Why am I counting every macro? Is it, is it just because the body is a temple of the Holy Spirit or is it turned from a discipline into an obsession? And really, if it comes right down to it, am I doing all of this in large part because I want people to look at me and go, he is so hot. <laughs> Here's what's crazy. You know where this is going. You understand 1 Corinthians 6 is true, right? Your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit. You should look after it. You know that Galatians 1 verse 10 is true, right? That you don't turn a discipline into an obsession. Live your life to please God, not people. They're both true. And so there's gonna be a moment in your life, there's gonna be moments in my life that God wants to speak into my life. And sometimes, often, it's just this. I love you. You're the one I left the 99 for. I'm for you. But sometimes he's going to say, look it, I love you just the way you are, but I want to move you onto this path called the abundant life, the good life, the life that you were created to live. And it's going to require some discomfort. It's going to require some change from time to time, and that can be uncomfortable. And that's where I suggest that we need to come to a place together where we choose humility. That I let go of that one thing that I'm still clutching onto, that pride, and say, God, the earth is yours and everything in it, including my pride here it is. That's a big one. But when you get to that point, then he's free to move you and change you and bring you to that place that, that Jesus calls in John chapter 10, the abundant life, the full life. Now just one more thing I want to share. 
you're going to notice in 1 Timothy that over and over and over and over again, there's this message, and the message is, you can't do life alone. And we've heard that before, right? You can't do life alone. You can't do life alone. You can't do life alone. It's really good. But 1 Timothy gets pretty specific about what God is saying when he says in this context, you can't do life alone, that you need other people around you. 1 Timothy is saying, you need the people that are sitting around you right now in your life. I'm not saying any old person. I'm saying when you became a follower of Jesus Christ, you were born again. Ever heard that phrase, born again? And you're born again into a family, and that family is the family of God. And, and, and the context of that family in this city for you right now is this church. And you specifically need people in this church to be a part of your life. You really do. First Thessalonians 5. Wow, I said Thessalonians that time. First service, I tried it 16 times and couldn't get it. I'm so stoked right now. But 1 Thessalonians 5 says this. We are, we are in this room, watching online right now. We are to build one another up and encourage one another. In other words, there is a building up that needs to happen in you, and it can only happen within the context of people in your life from this family. There is an encouragement that needs to happen, take place in your life. You need to grow in courage, and you can only do that in the context of relationship within this family. The book of James in the New Testament in chapter 5 says this, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. In other words, real me needs to meet some real people in this family where I'm real, you know? Like not pretending to be somebody I'm not, but actually getting honest and open to have some people in my life that'll love me exactly as I am, but pray for me, that God would work in me and change me. There's a freedom, there's a healing, there's a strength that can only really happen as we get intentional to have relationships within this family. The church that Jesus established is powerfully illustrated in the early church. It's described this way in Acts chapter two. They, that's the church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to the number daily those who are being saved. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, even my pride. And if I get to a place of humility where I can say, God loves me and that's enough, I say, God, would you speak into my life? And one of the things he's gonna speak, I'm telling you right now, he's gonna speak. You can't do life alone. You need people in your life from this family. There's kind of two months of the year that are like reset months, you know what I mean? Like one is January, because it's the first month of the year, and the other one is September, because it's like the beginning of the school year. And I've preached a lot of January sermons. I've preached a lot of September sermons. And honestly, I don't want to brag, but some of them are pretty good, you know? I remember saying, new year, new you. New year, new you. New year, new you. New year, new you. I remember saying, we're gonna make this next 12 months our masterpiece, and here's how we do it. We're gonna make every day our masterpiece, and we're gonna keep stacking masterpiece on top of masterpiece, on top of masterpiece, on top of masterpiece. 
I remember saying stuff like, this is the year that we're gonna choose faith over fear. This is the year that we're gonna choose generosity over greed. This is the year that we're gonna be courageous. This is the year that we're gonna cherish our spouse. This is the year that we're gonna love our kids. This is the year that we're gonna trust in the Lord with all our heart, lean not on our own understanding, and all our ways acknowledge him, knowing that he will direct our path. And every once in a while after I would preach one of those sermons, I would get emails. And a lot of the emails would be, Mike, I'm there. I love it. I'm fired right up right now. I'm so into it. I'm doing it. And for years, listen to this. This is kind of crazy. For years, I got this heavy feeling in the pit of my stomach, and I didn't know why. But now I do. Now I do. If the only support that that person has for making that commitment in their life is to show up here once a week for one hour, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. They need God, but they also need people in this family to support them. So as I close today, I want to ask you a favor. Actually, actually, one of three favors. Okay, so you're going you're to fit into like one of, one of three little groups. Okay, I'm going to use three different places on the stage because I'm from Red Deer and I'm Dutch, so I'm a little slow, so I need to, okay. So, number one, you're new to faith or new to Southside. Okay, when I say new to faith, what I mean is you just started following Jesus or you're just thinking about maybe starting to follow Jesus. You got some questions, you're still checking it out and you're wondering. Or new to Southside means you're um, new to Southside, okay? <clears throat> Which is a lot of us, by the way. So for a lot of people, you watched online and now you're finally showing up in person and it's great. Or you're watching online right now and you've only been watching for a short time. I would like to invite you officially to uh, be in Southside 101 today at 12.30. If you're new to faith or new to Southside, I would just like to invite you to be a part of what we're doing at Southside 101 at 12.30 today. If you have kids, we have childcare. If you're hungry, we have food for your kids and food for you. Just trying to remove excuses. See what I'm doing there? <laughs> I think it's gonna be a time of good information. I hope it's gonna be a time for more inspiration. However, can I tell you really the ulterior motive behind the whole thing. We want to start doing life together. Man, this last 12 months has been tough. I watched it play out, and I have just come to the conclusion we can't do life alone. Like, we desperately need each other. And if I could just say one thing, use another coaching analogy. One of the things that I learned early when I was coaching basketball is this is what you don't do. You don't look at a kid and say, um, don't miss that shot. But I did that. Oh, yeah, I did that all the time when I was, started coaching. Like, what a dumb thing to say. Oh, okay, coach, because I really wanted to miss it, but no, like, at the very least, just say, you got this, make it. Well, I think sometimes that as Christians, uh, as Southsiders even, we start to play defense a little bit too much. So let's not divide. Let's not get mad at each other over all the ridiculous things that everybody's fighting about. Cool, cool, get it. Don't, 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 don't. How about do? Let's decide to do something about it. Let's decide that in this next season, we're gonna be humble enough to listen to what God says, that we need each other in this family and really step into that. And that's what I'm asking you to do, to consider doing today at 1230, Southside 101. And if you absolutely can't make it today at 1230, it's running next week. It's a three-week thing, but you can do it in any order. I would just love you to come. 
and be a part of it. Make sense? Group number one? Okay. This is a different area now, okay? Group number two. You're not new to faith, and you're not new to Southside, but you're not in a small group. Can I ask you that this is the year? That this is the year that you step into intentional community. Maybe you're incredibly self-reliant and self-sufficient. It's so good to hear. Can I, can I take you back to Prime Minister Golda Meir in the 1970s? Man, every time I leave a meeting with her, I feel valuable. I feel brilliant. I feel intelligent. Like, I wonder if there's somebody in a group somewhere that needs you to encourage them, that needs you to build them up, that needs you to see them, that needs you to pray for them. So if you're not new to faith and you're not new to Southside, can I ask you, can this be the year, whether you're online or in person, can this be the year that you step into that intentional community? Such a powerful illustration I'm making. Okay, so group number three, you're in a, you're in a small group. I just want you to know I'm praying for you every day, every day. And if I could ask you one thing, can you lean in? Can you believe that this is the year? This is gonna be the best small group year you've ever had. I can't wait in six days. Next Saturday, I get to meet with, a, I think, all of our small group leaders. We get to pray together and, and encourage each other. It's gonna be amazing. Amazing, but I, I, I don't believe in this. Don't divide. Don't do life alone. How about this? Let's choose as we enter into this study, which I think you're gonna love on First Timothy, let's choose that we're going to walk this walk together. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Even my pride, yeah, yeah. We humble ourselves. God loves me. That's enough. It's enough to have him speak into my life, and that's enough even to start doing life together. Let's pray. So God, I thank you for every man and every woman, young and old here, online and in person. Father, we are just so thankful that you call us into a family. <clears throat> God, I pray the same for them as I pray for me, that slowly, 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 that we will know that even our pride, even our reputation, we can just let it go and leave it to you. And as we're praying with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, and maybe you're here today and you realize that, <clears throat> man, you're, your pride is so fragile that you've been on, on a kind of a roller coaster where you're, you're, trying to, you're trying to make yourself matter. But I guess what I wanna tell you today, right now, is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, loves you fully and completely right now. That you're the one. You're the one. You're the one that he left the 99 to go after. He lived for you, he died for you, he rose again for you. So if today is the day that you wanna give up not just your pride, but your life, say, Jesus, I invite you to be my savior and be my Lord. And if you've never done that before, with all eyes closed and all heads bowed, can you just raise your hand right now? Even wherever you are online or in person, just raise your hand right now because I want to pray for you. Nice and high if you don't mind. That's awesome. Amazing, 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 amazing. Okay, you can put your hands down. So God, for those who just raised their hands, <clears throat> first of all, Jesus, we just want to say thank you. Thank you that I don't have to prove anything. That anything that needed to be proved about me, you already proved. And so today, Jesus, I invite you to be my savior. 
I give you my shame and my regret and my sins, and I'm so thankful that I get to walk away and start new. And today, Jesus, I invite you to be my Lord, that you would give me the humility, the humility to follow you one next step at a time into the life that you created me to live. And for all of us, God, I am so thankful again for this family that you've called us into, so excited about this next season. I pray, as I know you do, that you would continue to go before us, prepare the way, and that this would be a year, this would be a season that we would look back at and say, man, God was at work. We love you, we trust you. In your name we pray, amen. Let's celebrate, church. So Southside 101 at 12.30. If you can make it, great. If not, I love you guys. We'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And to stay up to date with all things Southside, follow at Southside underscore church on Instagram. We love you guys. The best is yet to come.